60, 70 hours a week for 22 plus years. And we came to a place in our life where we, I really began to feel God calling me and my family into the ministry. We didn't know exactly what that meant or where God would lead that to be. But we knew that something was drawing us to him. And so all we wanted to do was consume ourselves with him, to be around his people, the church, and to begin to serve and to just love God. We loved his presence and we loved sharing with others. And so during this time, we were attending Calvary Chapel to Hatchapi. And as these drawings got stronger and stronger, we started following Pastor Mike out here, Pastor Mike Ostheimer, and we would come down on Wednesday nights. Your sanctuary was set up a little different back then. And this building, this it's not the building, it's the presence of God, but we would come here and God would minister to us through Pastor Mike in ways that he's not even aware of. It was in this room where God began to wash over myself personally, a heavy sense of his presence and more of the calling, still very unclear what he was calling me to do, but there was a calling. And so Mike has become a really, really good friend. You have a wonderful pastor. He is probably the best counselor uh, that I know of. Um, he's counseled, counsels me still today as he serves on our board. And, you know, he doesn't try to steer our church, which I so appreciate. But what he offers is stability. He offers stability. He lets us make our own decisions and let the spirit lead. But he's there. And just his presence of being there as a senior pastor, I might add, uh, brings stability to our ministry in Tehachapi. And so I'm very excited to be here this morning. And thank you, Pastor Mike. And it's good to see some familiar faces from Israel um, and Isaac. Uh, wonderful worship. Thank you guys, Tori. And so what I want to share with you here this morning is something along those lines of how Jesus is sending us out. And once we come to know God through Jesus Christ, what we find is, is that as Jesus told John, when he told his disciples in the gospel of John, he said, you didn't choose me, but I have chosen you. And so once we come to this place to understand and begin to fellowship with God, which, by the way, he has created us for that purpose, we first come to know and believe that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. Before the foundations of the world, the book of Revelation tells us, that God has prepared these works that you and I would walk in them. And so this is what I want to share with you this morning is as we draw near to God, that he then draws nearest to us, draws nearest to us. And what we find then is he then sends us out. He sends us out for these opportunities, I like to say, for this life-changing experience to partner with him and to see what God has, and the things that he can use us to accomplish, his will and his purposes. 
And so that's what it is. It's God partnering with us to then go forth and to be the salt and the light as he's called us to be. And so let's pray here once again this morning, and we'll get into the text here in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day, Lord. Thank you for these, Lord, who uh, come early in the morning to sit, Lord, at your feet, as Isaac was talking about, to worship you, Lord, because truly you are worthy of our praise and our adoration. And so, Father, we humbly submit ourselves to you here this morning, and we welcome your presence, your Holy Spirit. We pray now that your Spirit would begin to take your word and mend it into our hearts. Lord, that your word would come alive to us once again here this morning. Lord, we pray that you would lead us, as Isaac said, as David would say. Lord, that as you lead us, we stay close to you. We stay sensitive to your leading. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, we want to see you, Jesus, and more of you. Father, I pray for any who come with questions here today. And I believe that there are many that are here now and later and maybe even online that you have been giving them this sense of you drawing them to a closer, more intimate relationship with you. Just as I and so many have. Well, I pray that today you would give somebody or many people confirmation that it is you, God, who is calling them, that it is you who is drawing them. And Lord, that we would lay down these encumbrances, these burdens, these weights that are holding us back from giving ourselves fully to you, surrendering and seeing what you have for us. So many times we think when we hear your word, say that we must die, that we must decrease so that he may increase. We think of loss. We think that we have to give up so much. And yet what we find is like that little seed that gets planted in the ground, that seed must first die before it can be set free to produce fruit. And that's what we find when we find your will in our lives, your purpose, God, that the things that are really empty, the things that are of ourself or of the world that are empty, when we simply give those things up, and we give ourselves to you, we actually find the freedom in Christ. We find that which we are being possessed for. We find that which is satisfying and permanent. Lord, we find that water that is refreshing, the water of life. And so, Father, thank you so much for these. Thank you for your word. Bless our time here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin reading here at verse 1. My intention is to get to verse 11. I thought that if I don't, that maybe second service I can, can just continue. But that may be a little confusing to people who didn't come to first service or to those who don't stick around for second service. So we'll pick up here at verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the city. Verse 5 says, And for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the village, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So this is where we begin. Remember earlier in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, is when we were told that Jesus had spent the whole night praying. He spent the whole night praying. And what was he praying about? Well, I believe he was praying about these 12 men that he was going to call as his disciples. That's what Luke 12, Luke 6, verses 12 through 13 says. And so the first thing we need to understand is before Jesus calls his disciples to be apostles. Apostles is a big word, but really the definition means sent out ones. But before you can be the sent out ones, you first have to be disciples. Jesus first called his disciples, those who would be students and learners. And they were being taught and they were learning from Jesus himself. And so before we can become apostles or sent out ones, before we can begin to understand the call that God has on our life and the mission that he has for each and every one of us, we first must learn from him. And may I say, we truly never stop learning from Jesus, no matter how long we have spent with him. But what we see is that Jesus begins to then delegate his will to his disciples. This is what we just read in verse 1 of chapter 9. That they already were his disciples. They were already students and learners. And now Jesus is giving them a mission. He gives them a mission and he is going to delegate his work to these men. That is still something that just fascinates me today. That God would choose to use you and I. When you think about it, God does not really need us, does he? God is self-sufficient. God is complete. God is whole. He lacks nothing. But yet he desires. He desires to not only have fellowship with us, but then to make us partakers of his work on this earth. Think about that. The living God who created everything we see desires for you and I to know him and to not only know him, but then for him to use us in a sense to go forth and accomplish his will on this earth. And so why would Jesus delegate this to you and I and to his disciples? Well, let me give you two suggestions. The first one is, is that Jesus knows that having these 12 to begin with, and then you and I later, to go forth and to share his gospel would be the most effective way to get the message across. Remember, Jesus gave his disciples that great commission when he told them to go forth from Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth and preach the gospel, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why does Jesus delegate his disciples to then go forth the first reason is pretty simple. This is the most effective way for the gospel to be spread. And really, when you think about it, that is why you and I are here today. 
because of what these first men began to do, we are now part of this great work known as the church. As God is revealing himself to the world during this church age that consists of you and I. But the second reason I think is, to me, the most important. I alluded to it earlier. Jesus wants us to be partakers of his work. He wants us to have fellowship with him. You think about way in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve. What is it that God was doing with Adam and Eve? Well, the Bible says that he was having fellowship with him, that they walked with him in the cool of the day. But notice that God also gave them a mission. They were to care for the field. They were to care for the animals. They were to care for the things that God had created. And so we see right there in the beginning that God created us for fellowship, that we would know him who has created us. And then God has a plan or a mission or a call for each and every one of us. And so you can say, like Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, that you and I are a kingdom and priest unto God. We are a kingdom and priest unto God. And so what a beautiful thing. And I will say this, guys, that we need to understand first that Jesus has called us. I know a lot of Christians who don't have the confidence, who don't have the understanding that Jesus has called them. We must understand that Jesus has called us. You sitting here this morning is evidence that God is calling you, that God is drawing you into a deeper relationship with him. Why? Because you want to hear more about him. And so understanding that God has called us is very important. And so what did he do as he called them? Verse 1 said that he had called them together. Notice it says that he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal disease. So what we see is that Jesus is giving his disciples, becoming apostles, he's giving, him, giving them his mission, their mission. What was the mission? Well, it was to heal people, it was to cast out demons, and it was to preach the gospel. But here's something I want to point out to you that was relative to them that is just as relevant to us here today. When God calls you and sends you forth, he gives you and I power and authority to do the mission that he's called us to do as well. You see, God will equip us for the works that he's calling us to do. If you think about it, the things that God is calling you and I to do, we are not capable of doing these things oftentimes. I find that fascinating with God. The things that he often is calling us to do are those things that we feel we are incapable of doing. And I find that God likes to do this. He likes to get us out of our comfort zones. Why? Well, because the things that I feel that I'm good at, I'm good at. But when God asks me to do things that are not of myself, then what do I have to do? I have to depend on him. I have to trust him. But then even better than that, I see that it's him who is doing the work. I become almost like a bystander, like a passenger in the car. As we see that it's Jesus's work. And Jesus is going to give us power and authority to do this work. 
I love the example of Moses pertaining to God, empowering us as we go out to do his work. Because I love what the Apostle Paul says is that within me, there is a lack. Within me, there is nothing that is good. I have no ability to do the things that God is calling me to do. But in Christ, I can do all things. Moses gives us the same kind of example. And I love this story about Moses. It's in Exodus 4, verses 10 through 13. Moses, I think, we can all relate a little bit with Moses. Here, Moses had this desire, a desire that came from God. How do we know that? Well, because Moses was drawn towards God's people. Remember, Moses was a Hebrew, but he was raised there in the palace with Pharaoh. And you could say Moses probably would have had a very comfy, cozy life had he just stayed subservient to Pharaoh and Egypt. He could have maybe even became a Pharaoh or, you know, somebody high up. But the Bible says that Moses saw one day that a Egyptian was beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses didn't like that. You see, when we delight ourselves in God, God gives us the desires of our heart. That's how God draws us. You begin to care about the things of God. You begin to be drawn to the things of God. All these ministries that you guys have going on are opportunities. They're not just to fill the calendar. They're opportunities for us as God is drawing us to find and to exercise our gifts and our abilities in the body of Christ. And so Moses here saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave and he reacted, okay? His, his heart was right. He didn't like this injustice. He loved his people. God will give us a love for people, won't he? When we continue to draw near to him, we begin to love people. That's God's ultimate mission here is to save people, to translate them from death to life. And so what Moses did, though, is he didn't wait for the power and the authority of God. He, like you and I, we have to learn these things. You see, we have to be disciples before we can go out and be apostles or great deliverers that Moses was. So what did Moses do? He killed the man. Then he buried him. He buried him in the sand. And of course, when this was found out, we know Moses was then exiled. He had to then run. But in the process, God never wastes anything. You see, when we make mistakes, really, they're teaching moments. God took Moses out to the wilderness for 40 years to begin to make him a disciple. Sometimes God needs to remove us from the place we're at and get us into a still, quiet place where we can begin to be fed. And so what we found then is at the ripe old age of 80, that God then came and appeared to Moses. And I want to recall this story with you, because to me it's profound. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
You see, God had appeared to Moses and began to give Moses his mission. He began to reveal to Moses how Moses was going to be his instrument that he was going to send there to Pharaoh so that God can show his glory through Moses to the Pharaoh. And I love Moses here because what did he say? He said, Lord, wait a minute. Uh, I think you got the wrong guy. You know, maybe 40 years ago when I was in my prime, maybe then would have been a good time, God. I'm 80 years old. I've been kind of isolated out here in the wilderness. He even said, I'm not eloquent of speech. Some believe that maybe Moses had a speech impediment or something along these lines. But really what Moses is doing is he's saying, God, you're calling me to do this great thing, but I'm not going to be able to do this. Oh, if I had a penny for every time I said that in my own life. God, I know that you are the God who created all things. I know you are all powerful. I know that all things are possible through you, but you're asking me to do this. I can't do it. Well, let me comfort you here this morning. If that's you, you are in a good place. You are in a very good place because you're acknowledging something that is true. We can't do God's work in the flesh. There is nothing in the flesh that is profitable. The prophet, the flesh profits nothing. You see, but with God, all things are possible. This is what God says to him in verse 11 after Moses basically says, uh, you got the wrong guy, God. Not me. Verse 11 says, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? See, guys, this is where we need to come. When God begins to draw us and then he begins to reveal, put these desires in our heart that didn't come from us, I, if, I can't even begin to explain, as many of you can, how the desires in my heart have changed through the years. The things, the first 20 years of my life that I desired to do are not there anymore. A lot of people that I knew from way back in the day don't even recognize me anymore, not physically, but just because of my life. Because as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Why? Because our hearts are seeking him. And so here's what Moses is doing. He's saying, God, I can't do this. Notice what God says. He says the same thing to you and I. I know you can't do it. I'm not asking you to do it. What does he do? He redirects Moses' attention back to where his attention needed to be, where our attention needs to be. Look up. That's what he says. He says, you can't do these things. Quit talking about you, right? I can't do this. I can't do that. Can you imagine if we lived our whole lives constantly focused on the things we can't do? That's a pretty miserable existence. But what did he tell him? He said, who created the mouth? You see, what God is doing is saying, look at me. Look at me. Stop looking at your inadequacies. Stop looking at your slow speech. Because if you're anything like me, when God was asking me, calling me out into the ministry, I probably had a list of about 50 reasons why this was not a good idea. And most of them were because I can't do this, because I've never done that, because I've never done this, I've never done that. God knows those things, guys. 
They're no secret to him. You see, when David says, Lord, search my heart that you may know my ways, it's not because God needs to know your ways. God already knows your ways. But what he's saying is in searching me, what you will begin to find is that God will then reveal these things to you. And so what an amazing thing. He tells Moses, who made man's mouth? Look at me. Look at me. All things are possible with me. But here's the important part. Verse 12. So when we say, no, God, I can't. I can't do this. I don't have time, this or that. We need to remember who we are talking to and who is talking to us. The creator of all things. The one who has created you. The one who knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. The one who had plans and purposes before you even existed. May I even say before the foundations of the earth. Don't you want to tap into that? Does anyone else other than me want to tap into that? And know the things that God has for you and I? But look at verse 12. Here's the part where I think a lot of people, including myself, get hung up. Verse 12, he says, now then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Here is the important part. That as God draws us and he begins to call us, he begins to show us this mission that he has for us. He then equips us for this work. He gives us, like the disciples, power and authority. But that power and authority will not come until we first go. You see, God still operates by this little thing called faith. Many people want to see the power and the authority, but they aren't willing to go. They aren't willing to walk by faith. Notice that's what he said to Moses. He says, now then go. To me, he's saying, go first, right? Go, and then I will be with your mouth. May I say that the empowering comes when we go. We first have to trust him. We have to believe him. And then by faith, we have to walk. Nothing changed. Moses' mind, he was giving God reasons why he couldn't do it. Nothing changed until Moses went and actually stood there before Pharaoh. And what he came to find was, is that God was faithful. That God was true. That it was going to be his work. And all Moses was, was a vessel. May I say that vessel is often better used when it's empty. When it's empty of itself. Can you imagine trying to... <laughs> My wife and I and kids who are here with me this morning are going to be driving out to Palm Desert after this. And can you imagine on a trip, maybe you guys can, driving and having you try to navigate with your phone and your wife trying to navigate to you with something else and having two different kinds of directions to try to get somewhere. You see, it's the same relationship with God. It'd be very confusing. My phone says turn left. Well, my phone says go straight. Well, my phone says this. Well, my phone says that. It's almost the same thing with you and I. If we aren't empty vessels, if we are constantly being consumed with the flesh and our desires, then how is it that God can direct us? 
He can't direct us if God says go straight, and in our mind we're going, well, wait a minute, I think we need to go left. I think we need to go right. I think we need to turn back. I think we need to go here. But the more we are just emptied of ourselves, then we can understand what he's calling us to do. He's going to tell us about this with his disciples when he gives them their marching orders. But what a powerful example, I think, through Moses, that these, this empowering and this authority comes when we go. It's not the other way around, like Thomas. Right? Thomas wanted to see, and then he would believe. God, give me the power and the authority, and then I'll go. Well, is that faith? Is that walking by faith? Some may say yes. What I find in Scripture in my own life is it works the other way around. God doesn't give me the full picture. He just tells me to go and to trust Him. And as I go, I find the power and the authority. That is how simple it is. But we oftentimes want to see the power and the authority. God, I'll go, but show me your whole plan first, God. And I think God is smarter than you and I. Anyone else in here believe that? That if God did give me his whole plan, guess what? I would probably mess it up. <laughs> of course, he's always ahead of me a few steps. But I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. He doesn't want all this stuff going on through our head. Just, just follow me. Just trust me. And as you go, then I will begin to give you the power and the authority. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this in Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am confident in this very thing that he who began this good work in you, he is the one who will perfect it. When God calls us to his service, it's his work. And he is the one who is faithful to complete it. And I say, thank God, because then it's not my responsibility. It's not my burden. Yes, I need to keep the vessel clean. There are things that I need to do as a Christian to keep myself pliable and, and in the master's hand. But as long as I am submitted and surrendered to him and abiding in him, then it is his work. And he is the one who is faithful to complete this work. I need to be faithful in trusting him, in being obedient to his word, in continuing to fellowship with him. What an amazing thing. Listen to what Hebrews 13 says. In fact, you can turn there if you would like. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 says this. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Here is the same thing that I just said about Moses. Remember when Moses was saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm slow of speech. What did God say? Hey, Moses, who created the mouth? Look at what the, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, we can debate that later, the author of Hebrews. But look at what the author of Hebrews does. The same thing. Before he tells us about equipping us for these works of service, what does he do? He gets our eyes off of ourself. He does the same thing. He says, may the God of peace who brought you from the dead, the great shepherd through the blood of the eternal covenant and Jesus Christ. Remember that one, Jesus? Well, he says in verse 21, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? As we 
continue to draw near to him. He draws near to us. He empowers us. He gives us vision. He begins to call us to send us forth, to send us out to accomplish his will. And notice it says that he will equip us for every good work to do his will. It's his mission. It's his plan. We are his children. He is our father and he equips us. He empowers us. But it's as we go, church. It's as we go and it's to do his will. What an important thing for us to remember that Jesus here is delegating his disciples. And may I say he is delegating you and I as well. We need to look to the mountains and see that the mountains are white. They are ready for harvest, church. You think about what we have just come through as a people and as the body of Christ, the church. This last year has been a year that has shaken many people, that has begun to bring a tremendous amount of fear into people's lives, uncertainty. It reminds me similar to the crash of the stock market. How many years ago was it? When people began to really panic because of the uncertainty, their livelihoods was lost. Well, I think this pandemic has done even more as people are walking around and they are afraid. What an important time for you and I to share about Jesus, the Savior of the world, about the truth of the Bible, that the flesh will fade, that the, the flesh is not eternal. The flesh is temporary. These lives and these bodies is only temporary, guys. We've all been given a measure of time. And then when this time comes to an end and these bodies that we know go back into the ground, that then the spirit leaves the body and enters into eternity. This is the truth of the Bible, that we are all eternal beings. And one day we will enter into eternity. The question is, is are people going to enter into eternity into the loving arms of the father who has redeemed them through Jesus Christ? The message that the church has been declaring or will those enter into eternity who are already full of fear and anxiety and enter into eternity separated from God to only have those matters and those problems be complicated? Church, this is why God calls people out, why he sends people out to share this message or may even say to be bold enough to invite people to the place where they can then hear about the word of God where they can begin to be drawn to the things of God. Oh, I pray that God would give all of us a hunger for those who are lost, for those who are seeking, for those who have found this life and this world to beat them up, to leave them wanting, to leave them dry and desperate, to come to taste and see that the Lord is good. That in Jesus... Life is found, true life is found in Jesus. Purpose. Maybe you've lost your purpose. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost finances. Maybe you've lost hope. Well, let me tell you, all of these things can be found in Jesus Christ. True life, true purpose. Oh, the satisfaction of Jesus. And so what did he tell his disciples back at Luke 9? He gave them power and authority 
for this mission he's calling them to do. The mission was to heal, to cast out demons, and to preach the gospel. May I say that the mission is the same for you and I today. We think of casting out demons and we think of the exorcisms and exorcists and these sorts of things. May I say that I believe that there are demons cast out daily. That it may even be just in a church setting. When somebody is just bound, I've seen it in our church, I've seen it in many churches. I believe that healings and casting out of demons happen daily, happen weekly. You think about the healings and some of them are more dramatic than others. I love the dramatic healings of the person who comes up in a wheelchair and is prayed for and bam, they're healed. But may I convey to you here today, those aren't the only healings that we need to be talking about. How about that single mother who has been left to raise her kids alone? How about that broken heart that needs to be healed? You see, God is healing and casting out demons all the time. What an amazing thing. And may I even say here in scripture, we find something that comforts me. We see that as he calls them to go out and gives them power, they are called to cast out demons and to heal the disease. To me, this is very important. Because I've heard people in the church wrongly, I believe, say that somebody who is diseased is diseased because they are demon-possessed. I thank God for Luke here. Luke is a physician, remember. And Luke is making a distinction for you and I that there are different processes for demon possession or healing. Notice that they were given power to cast out demons whereas they were also given power to heal the disease. There's two different remedies here. And so we need to be careful, guys, when we go forth. That's why I say we need to be students and disciples before we go out and want to be apostles. Because can you imagine the damage you can do if you begin to tell somebody that they're sick and the reason why they're sick is because they're demon-possessed? We need to be very careful and, and have some handling of the word of God. And how God works. And so here he's giving them this power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and oh yes, to preach the kingdom of God. Now to these disciples preaching the kingdom of God, where were they going to begin to preach about the kingdom of God? Well, in their day, they were preaching about the kingdom in the synagogues. They were preaching about it in the marketplace. May I say they were preaching about it wherever they were. So you take that back into our lives. And where are we? Where are we to preach the kingdom of God? Where are we to preach about Jesus? You see, the disciples were preaching mostly to Jews at the beginning. So they would be preaching about Jesus and how he was the Messiah. Well, to you and I, as we begin to preach the gospel or share about the gospel, we need to tell people about Jesus. And where do we tell people about Jesus? Wherever we are. How many times at the marketplace are there opportunities? How many times are there opportunities at work, in your own family? But God, I can't. I just don't know what to do. You know what? Just trust God. Don't overcomplicate things. Sometimes it's just a compassionate heart. 
It's just somebody to say, oh man, I see you're having a rough day. Can I pray for you? Hey, is everything okay? Is everything all right? Is there anything I can help you with? Remember that little thing called being God's hands and feet? We don't have to be these theologians and, and have our 30 verses there in our back pocket to pull out and start boop, 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 right? A lot of times, it's just simply coming alongside people who are confused and hurting and to just love them and to show them something that is different. So for you and I, the mission being called out, God has given us power. Remember that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, that stronger is he who is in us than he was in the world. We can overcome this evil that will be against us, not in our own strength, but in his strength. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. To heal the sick, words of encouragement. He's given us the power and authority to heal. Yes, the gifts of healing are still in use today. But my point was to try to get us to understand that healing isn't always having the person come up in the wheelchair and seeing them rise. It could just be coming alongside them. I've seen some of the greatest ministries of just some one-on-one -on -one time with people and sharing and talking and praying and seeing a person who was just broken and just a mess to all of a sudden see that little spark of life come back into them. For them to remember what it felt like to feel again. I've seen so many people these days who've just been inoculated. You think about the drugs. You think about pharmaceuticals and people with these opioids that are just being numb to the things of life. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of those things are valuable for pain and these sorts of things. They need to be watched though. Because people can become to get addicted to that. They don't have to deal with anything anymore. Just pop a couple pills and I'm good. Hey, I did that many years ago, but it wasn't pharmaceuticals. It was harder drugs. And what was I doing? I couldn't deal with the pain anymore. But my pain wasn't just physical. It was spiritual. I was dead. I was lost. I was hungry. And nothing was to satisfy. Until I came to find that in Jesus. And now to find that he has a mission and a purpose for me. And he has it for you as well. The second thing about preaching the kingdom. For you and I, it's telling people about Jesus. The second thing is, is that we need to tell people that this kingdom is different than the kingdom we find ourselves living in here today. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's speaking about God's kingdom and how it's different than this kingdom. The church needs to stop trying to be like the world and the church needs to start being the church again. That we are being transformed. That we aren't being conformed into the image of the world, but that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12.1 The church needs to continue to be the church. The, the church shouldn't change. Now, our methods of reaching people and things like that certainly change. Technology. Uh, I was just talking with your sound guy back there. And the things that we can do with technology are good things. But what I'm talking about is God never changes. His love for people never changes. His methods don't change. And so the third thing here is where we're winding down. Is that we find as God calls us 
He sends us out, and as we go forth to whatever he's calling us to do, he empowers us to do them. We find that we're preaching the gospel. We're telling people about how this kingdom is different. And then what we find is what we are finding here this morning, may I add, church. We find this kingdom community consisting of repentant believers. That's you and I. Those who were drawn to God, maybe some of us didn't even know why we showed up at church, but we heard the message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And something pierced our heart. Something spoke to us where we could not deny that it was anyone other than God. And God begins to move and see, this is what we find as we begin to believe what we are hearing. We begin to trust. And what do we often do? We often come and we accept the invitation that is given. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We find that we can just lay down all of these weights, all of these burdens, all of this sin that has so easily entangled us. We lay it down and we come to him. He forgives us of our sins. He cleanses us. He washes us. Don't you love that Jesus remembers our sin no more? When we confess it to him, he forgives us and he never remembers it again. He washes us. He begins to create in us this new life. That we are now new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And so I want to encourage you, church, here this morning. I know and I believe that God has plans and purposes for each and every one of us. And he has had these plans and purposes for us before we were born. Before the foundations of the world. But a lot of times we get so caught up in other things. We get caught up in the things of the world. We get caught up in me, myself. And we miss out. We miss out on the things that God would have for us. And so I pray today that as you go, that you begin to pray and ask God, God, what is it that you are calling me to do? Seriously consider that because I will tell you that there is nothing better than serving the Lord in whatever capacity he's calling you to do so. God will empower you. He will give you the authority to go forth. Why? Because it's his work. We are just his vessels. Let's pray here this morning. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would take the words from your pages, from your Bible, and you would begin to mend them into our hearts, that your spirit would begin to make these words come to life. Lord, that whatever is holding us back, whatever is slowing us down, whatever is that roadblock, I pray that today would be the day that you would break through, Lord. And in order for you to break through, we must come and we must surrender. We must lay these things down. We must consciously say, Lord, I surrender. 
We must say like the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for these. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, for using those who don't have the most ability, but those who make themselves available. It's not about ability. It's about availability. And so, Lord, as we decrease, then you can increase. Lord, take us, mold us, shape us, use us. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Give us clean hands and a pure heart. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.